Amen. So um, a couple weeks ago, I found my first email account from August 1993. Uh, in August 1993, I heard about this thing called email. And uh, I was just settling in my first semester of seminary, and a friend showed me how to downline, download AOL online and set up an email account. And email was so new that I got the first choice of my email address. Um, I found this email address um, uh, a couple days ago, and I, I'm really amazed that it still works. And uh, I even sent myself a couple emails from this old account just uh, to bring back good memories. But uh, it reminded me that when I first started uh, sending email, I, I didn't know how to send an email. Like, how do you start an email? Do you start it like a letter? Do you, like, what do you say? Like, how do you say? It was, it was just weird. And um, I, was, uh, I was actually... Um, reading through Paul's epistles um, in a class that semester. And I thought, well, Paul starts all of his letters with something about the grace and peace of Christ being with you. And so I started uh, starting all of my emails with may the grace and peace of Christ Jesus be with you. I started that in 1993. And if any of you have ever received an email from me, I still do it. Um, I don't know if that's the correct way to start an email or not, but I've been doing that for 25 years. Um, and that is how Paul starts his letter to the believers in Philippi. Um, he starts, look there in verse 1, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, with all the leadership, all the overseers and the deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think it's fitting and appropriate that he begins his letter to his friends in Philippi with grace and peace because gospel community is conceived by the grace and peace of Christ. That's how it all begins. Grace and peace. Paul takes two words and puts them together to effectively sum up the gospel. This is the essence of the Christian faith, that grace is the word which best describes all of the amazing things that God has done for us in Christ, and peace summarizes all the benefits we receive from our relationship with Christ. Grace is that unmerited uh, favor that God has towards us in Christ. Paul's going to later write to the church in Ephesus, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this because the grace of God and your salvation is not something that you do or can boast in. It's a gift from God. Grace. And peace is the result of receiving God's grace in Christ. You remember, it's the promise at the birth of Jesus declared by the angels. Glory to God in the highest and what? Peace on earth to all those with whom God is pleased. And it's the promise that Jesus makes the disciples um, on the night that he's handed over to suffering and death. He says, I'm leaving you with a gift. I'm going away, but I'm leaving you with a gift. 
peace of mind and heart and the peace that I'm going to give you, the world can't give. It's, it's a gift that you receive because of your relationship with me. And because you have my peace, you don't need to worry or be afraid. It's also the first words that Jesus speaks uh, after his resurrection. When he comes into the upper room, he says to the disciples, peace, shalom be with you. And so right here at the beginning of this letter to his friends in Philippi, Paul declares their identity in Christ that is conceived by grace and peace. Gospel community is conceived by grace and peace. And this is what Paul is pondering as he begins his letter. Now, you know where Paul is. Paul's in Rome and Paul's in prison, right? Not the best circumstance, not a great environment. He's under house arrest. He's in chains. He's awaiting trial and almost certainly death. And yet Paul finds joy. How is it that Paul finds joy? He, he finds joy by getting his attention off himself, off his circumstances, and putting his attention on his friends in Philippi, focusing on them and their life in Christ. And as he sets his mind and his heart on his friends in Philippi, he begins to experience joy. I remember um, the summer before my senior year in college, I was really going through a difficult time. And as a result of that difficult time, I got really self-focused. Has anybody been there? And I was moping around a little bit, and apparently it was worrying out one of my best friends who lovingly said to me, bro, you have got to stop focusing on yourself, and you got to start serving some people and, and pick up a hobby or something. <laughs> And so, and so I did. Um, I, I started teaching junior high Sunday school. I started a, a Bible study on Sunday night. I got involved in student government. Um, I really leaned into a couple of significant friendships in my life, and uh, I learned how to play the guitar. Uh, and it turned out to be one of the best years uh, of college, for sure. And that's what Paul's doing. He's, he's finding joy by adjusting his focus. He's, he's bringing his heart, his mind, his spirit um, to an other centricity. He's looking beyond his physical chains, and he's figuring out how can I serve, how can I bless, how can I build up some other people? And he does this by beginning to reflect on how the church in Philippi got started. And if you look down at verses 3 through 6, what he's contemplating is how gospel community is birthed by the power of God. It's conceived in the grace and peace of Christ, but actually birthed by the power of God. He says, every time I think of you, I give thanks to God. And whenever I pray, I make all my requests for all of you with joy. For you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. And I'm certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus comes again. And this really lifts up Paul's heart because the church and Philippi 
He's remembering, he's reflecting. God started with signs and wonders. Like, it was a big deal. There was a lot of cool stuff that was going on. God was doing some amazing things in people's lives. You, you can see this in Acts chapter 16, but it starts out with a vision. Paul has a vision just as the prophet Joel promised would happen, and Peter declares on the day of Pentecost. Paul has this vision, and there's this guy in his vision who says, please come and help us. And Paul goes. <laughs> and upon arrival, he meets uh, Lydia, this amazing, important businesswoman. She's a seeker of God. She's curious about the Jewish scriptures. And when Paul uh, preaches the gospel down by a river and explains how Jesus fulfills all the Jewish scriptures, the Holy Spirit puts it all together for Lydia for the first time, and she believes, and she gets baptized, and she shares this good news with her whole household, and her whole household gets baptized. And they all become part of this new church. And there's a story of a slave girl possessed by an evil spirit, controlled by her owners who are profiting, profiting off of her fortune-telling ability. And she's walking around harassing Paul and his companion day, companions day after day until finally Paul turns to her and says to the evil spirit within you, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her, and it does. There's all sorts of signs and wonders going on as the gospel is shared and the Spirit of God comes down and a, a people, a gospel community is born. There's a story of the Roman jailer. This is what Paul's thinking about. He, he's, in, he's in prison and he remembers a time when he was in prison in Philippi and God sends an earthquake to set him free and how he could have escaped immediately, but instead he's moved to share the gospel, to talk about Jesus to this Roman jailer who listens and the Holy Spirit gives him new birth. He believes in the Lord Jesus and he and his whole household are baptized and become part of this church. And so Paul is experiencing great joy by remembering his friends and how they became his friends in Christ. That the church in Philippi, that every church is started by the message of Jesus shared in the power of the Holy Spirit. This is what Paul's thinking about, the demonstration of God's power, signs and wonders in Philippi and the gospel friendships that it created. And it's causing him great joy. The joy of the Lord reflecting on the power of the Lord and the people of the Lord that the power of the Lord births. Even in the midst of his difficulty, this is how he's finding joy. And what he knows to be true is that the presence and power of the Holy Spirit who started the church in Philippi was still with the church in Philippi. And so he can encourage them to remember that he who began a good work in you isn't done. God doesn't just kind of show up and get things started and then take off. He's still with them, doing great things among them. And he's going to bring that relationship. He's going to bring that work to fulfillment. In other words, the believers in Philippi could rejoice too. 
not only because of what God has done for them, but what God is doing and will keep on doing in and through them. And, and that's the same for us too. This week, I've been uh, asking a couple of questions just in and through different relational conversations. And one of the questions has been, do you remember the first time you experienced the joy of the Lord? That's such a great question because it gets some really good conversation going. And I want to encourage you to ask that question around the dinner table this week or in your life groups this week or just uh, with someone uh, at work or someone in your neighborhood. Do you remember the first time you experienced the joy of the Lord? Or maybe a recent time when you experienced the joy of the Lord, remembering who God is and what he has done in our lives is a really helpful way to get our focus off our circumstances and continue in that joy. So the gospel is conceived by the grace and peace of Christ. Gospel community is birthed by the power of God. And then we see in verses 7 and 8 how gospel community really connects believers deeply with one another in Christ. Paul goes on to write, so it's right that I should feel as I do about all of you, for you have a special place in my heart. You share with me in the special favor of God, both in my imprisonment and in defending and confirming the truth of the good news. God knows how much I love you and long for you with the tender compassion of Christ Jesus. And Paul's not so much describing the sharing of something as he's describing the sharing in something. He's describing this communion that's been created by God, this relationship with God and one another, a oneness that they experience together because of the gospel. Paul and, and the believers in Philippi had been taken up into this divine fellowship with God and with one another. It's what, um, it's what the disciple, the apostle John, writes to the early church in his epistles. In 1 John 1, 3 and 4, he says, we proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you may have this fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we're writing these things to you so that you may fully share in this joy with us. Paul is encouraging them in their identity as a gospel community that connects them really deeply with one another. And the word he's using here for fellowship is koinonia. And what he is affirming and encouraging and reminding them of is that as followers of Jesus, we are united, not by ethnic background or social status or economic ability or political values or moral goodness. We're united relationally to God and one another by a person. And the message of that person, the grace and peace that that person brings to our lives the power of that person in our midst. That's the fellowship 
that we have. Paul will share this again later with the church in Ephesus. He'll say it this way. For Christ himself has brought us peace. He united the Jews and the Gentiles, meaning the Jews and everybody else, into one people. When in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. Christ reconciled all of us to God by means of his death on the cross. And therefore, our hostility toward each other was put to death. And now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. We're no longer strangers and foreigners, but we're citizens along with all of God's holy people. We have become members of God's holy family. And so, again, Paul is experiencing this great joy by reminding the Philippians of the connection that they have with God and with one another in Jesus, that Jesus is the holding point of all of our differences. He is the healer of all of our feuds. He's the hope of our every desire. And that's the same fellowship the same divine fellowship, communion that we share together with the Father and the Son through the fellowship of the Holy Spirit amongst us. And just like it did for Paul and the Philippians, that deep connection that we have with one another in Christ creates a special place in our hearts for one another. And it, it produces a longing for us to be together. Just like someone said this morning, I was up here Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, and it was really upsetting not to come up here Friday and Saturday. I'm so glad to be here this morning. We have a longing to be together in the Lord, and it gives us a tenderness and a compassion for one another, just as it did with Paul and the Philippians. As followers of Jesus with grace, this is the fellowship that we experience with one another, and it's also the fellowship that we invite others to come and experience with us. So that not only is Jesus' joy made complete and our joy made complete, but other people can have joy made complete in their lives as well. You see what Paul's doing? In the midst of prison, helping the believers in Philippi know God, know themselves, and therefore how to keep on living in grateful response. Finally, look at verses 9 through 11. Gospel community is conceived by the grace and peace of Christ. It's birthed by the power of God. It connects believers deeply with one another in Christ. And gospel community flourishes because there's this continual commitment to spiritual health and growth. Paul says in verses 9 through 11, I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you'll keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. For I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you always 
be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ, for this will bring much glory and praise to God. So since its beginning, and Paul's writing about 11 or 12 years after uh, the church got started in Philippi, um, the believers in Philippi had been flourishing and growing both numerically and uh, in maturity ever since. And so what Paul is doing is he's praying for their continued development as a gospel people, as a gospel community. And Paul prays real specifically for three things. And these, these prayers um, are beautiful. And I want to encourage us not only to understand how Paul was praying for the church of Philippi, but to understand that so that we know how to pray for one another. The, this is a fantastic three ways that we can pray for one another to continue to grow and mature as followers of Jesus with grace. First, Paul prays for love, right? Look at verse uh, 9. He prays that their love may abound more and more. They have the love of God in their heart. The same love that God uh, had for them to create them, the same love that God had for them to send Jesus to come and die for them, the same love that raised Jesus from the grave, that love resides in their hearts. And Paul is praying that that love may abound more and more. It's the image of a fountain. The word he uses here is overflow, right? Not just a little bit of love tucked away in the recess of our lives, but like love abounding and overflowing. What Paul is doing is he's praying for them to continue to experience the promise and the presence of Jesus in their lives. Remember that promise? To the woman at the well, anyone who drinks the water that I'm going to give them, they're never going to be thirsty again. It's going to become a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them life abundant, life eternal. You, You remember what Jesus says when he stands up at the Feast of Tabernacles? right there in the middle of the Jewish temple with thousands and thousands of people from all over the world, he stands up, he interrupts worship, and he says, let anyone who's thirsty come to me and drink. Because whoever believes in me, as all of the scriptures have taught and promised and focused on, rivers, not puddles, rivers, not trickles, rivers of living water will flow from within them, abounding, overflowing love. Um, Some of you have the opportunity to go on the first prayer walk in Mankey Park, and in Mankey Park, as we are praying and watching the Holy Spirit plant seeds of the gospel, connecting relation relationally with people, to uh, share the love of Jesus, um, to make disciples, to help God birth a new expression of the church in Mankey Park, right? As some of y'all went on that first prayer walk, uh, the fountain was on. And, and Robert shares this great story about how God used that flowing fountain um, to speak words of encouragement in life. And uh, I was driving down Friday morning, uh, to help uh, pray with a few people. And I, I drove by Mankey Park and the, and the fountain's off. 
And um, when that fountain is on, it's like it brings so much joy and it just conveys life and, it, and it's, it's amazing. And when that fountain's off, it's kind of sad and depressing. It's like the fountain isn't doing anything. It's not being what the fountain is for. And it's, it's really, it's, it's sad. Because <laughs> apparently there aren't resources to keep it on or something. I don't know. But that is not true of our relationship with God. In Christ, the Holy Spirit ensures that we are never out of spiritual resources, that the abundance of provision in heaven is at our full and overflowing disposal, that there is more than enough, that God never runs out of love for us, and in Christ and with the help of the Holy Spirit, we will never run out of love for one another. And that's a really good thing because sometimes it feels like our love tank is dry. And we need to ask for more love that the Holy Spirit will replenish what has already been given away. The first time I ever experienced this was in England on Monday night. We went to this informal worship gathering, which was basically a way to say, hey, we're all... um, growing in our relationship with the Holy Spirit, and we're creating some worship time here just to invite the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And the first, uh, the first time I ever had the courage to receive prayer for a filling of the Holy Spirit, I was explaining that I was running a little dry. And the only thing that was prayed for me was that I would experience more love. And I kept waiting, you know, you got to have more words than that. I'm just, more love, Lord. Like three words? I, I came all this way to get this prayer. You give me three words? More love, Lord. More love, Lord. And as I, as I stayed there in a posture of reception and the presence of God's people, the Holy Spirit came and I began to be filled with his love. And it began to displace every other thought that I was having, and I just became overjoyed. Because joy follows love in Galatians 5, right? Love is the beginning of it all, and when the love of the Lord starts filling your heart to overflowing, you start feeling joy. This is what gospel community is all about. The Holy Spirit is the fountain of gospel community, pouring out the love of the Father in our hearts that we might love one another as Christ loves us. And when the love of God is abounding, overflowing in our hearts, like we experience life to the full, life abundantly. We're able not to take offense where no offense was intended. We start keeping really short accounts with one another, being uh, quick to seek and receive forgiveness. We find ourselves responding to one another like the Father responds to us. We become slow to anger and and quick to forgive and eager to pursue reconciliation and protect our unity and oneness. When the love of Christ through the Holy Spirit is within us, we love one another well. And when we love one another well, you know what God does? He knows what we're going to do with other people that come into our midst. So he trusts us with them. 
He knows how we're going to treat our neighbors and our guests and our life groups and in our children's ministry and in our worship gatherings. He knows that we are going to serve people. And so he puts new people into our lives that we might bring them into gospel community with us. And as they follow Jesus with grace, they too will grow and overflow with that same love of God that's in our hearts. Let's pray that our love may abound more and more. Paul goes on and he says um, that he's praying for their knowledge. Look at verses 9 and 10. This is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. It's not a random emotional love. It's a, it's a love that's based in knowledge and insight that enables us to discern what is best. What Paul is saying is that faith seeks to know God more and more so that we can live more and more according to his purposes. And we, we get to know God better just like we get to know anyone better. We take the time to learn God's story, to discover what he's like, to understand his heart. And so the primary way we get to know God, the primary way that, that we grow in a knowledge of God and in understanding so that we can experience his love is by hearing him speak to us through the scripture. King David says, happy are those who reject the advice of evil people who do not follow the example of sinners or join those who have no use for God. Instead, they find joy in obeying the word of the Lord and they study it day and night. They are like trees that grow beside a stream. They bear fruit at the right time and their leaves do not dry up. Psalm 1. Jesus teaches anyone who hears these words of mine and obeys them, applies them, puts them into practice, actually lives them out, is like a very wise person who builds their house on a rock that stands firm no matter what the circumstances are. What Paul's saying is, I'm praying for your love to abound and I'm praying for your knowledge of who God is and who you are. Because a spiritually healthy and growing gospel community is gonna keep growing in a knowledge of love of God by feeding on the word of God. And that's really what we're doing in our life groups, right? Coming together and expressing gratitude and appreciation and then opening up the word of God, asking God to speak, sharing those scriptures in several different translations to really get behind what is God saying? What's his character? What's his heart? What's his best interest for us? And then encouraging one another, what is God saying to you? How does that apply to your life this week? And can we pray for one another to live out of what God is saying and what he is encouraging us? Because we know that's best for us. And so uh, let's keep meeting together. Let's keep opening the scripture together. Let's keep growing in the knowledge and understanding of God so that we'll be able to truly understand what really matters and live in grateful response. Finally, as Paul's talking about gospel community growing and flourishing, he's praying for their love, he's praying for their knowledge. And in verse 11 and 10 and 11, he's praying for their holiness. He prays that they may be pure and blameless, 
always filled with the fruit of salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ. I think this is really important. The holiness we have in Christ is not for our benefit. The holiness we have in Christ is for the benefit of God. When when God looks at us and he sees us clothed in the righteousness of Christ, it brings him great joy and delight because that's how much he loves us and that's what he's done for us. We can't do it for ourselves. He's dressed us in holiness and righteousness and it brings him great joy that we are covered in Christ. And so the holiness we have in Christ isn't isn't for our benefit. It's for the benefit of God and for those who will see God's work in our lives and desire the same. Right? Jesus says, uh, you're like a a light to the world. Right? Don't, Don't hide your light. Put that light on a stand. Put it on display. Let your light, let your righteousness, let your holiness that God has given you, what God has done for you, let that shine before others. Why? So you get all the credit? No. That they may see Christ in your life and your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Right? The internal presence of Christ in our lives has an external influence for Christ in the lives of those around us. So our holiness isn't meant for us. It's meant for God and to display the glory of God for the people around us. And and that's why we don't consider our holiness and righteousness in Christ as something that puffs us up. But rather in grateful response to all the Lord is, and all the Lord has generously done for us, we humble ourselves, and we generously bend our lives outward for the sake of others, for the benefit of others, with the love of God for others, with the knowledge of God being held out to others, with an invitation to the joy of relationship with God and with one another for those who do not yet belong. And so, as Paul prayed for the Philippians, pray that we may abound in love, that we may grow in knowledge, and that we would shine with the holiness of Christ so that others will be drawn to God in our midst. This is uh, the joy of gospel community. It's how the church begins and continues and multiplies in Philippi. And it's how the church begins and continues and multiplies in San Antonio. We're all part of this story. And so Paul sets us off on our journey of following Jesus with joy this summer with this encouragement of really appreciating and embracing what it means for us to be a gospel community. It gives Paul so much joy in how he prays for their continued growth. Let it give us that same kind of joy as we pray for one another following Jesus together. Let me pray.
Father, we um, ask now that you would pour out your Holy Spirit upon us. That we may abound in love. More love, Lord. That our love would, would overflow as we grow in a knowledge of your love for us in Christ. And that the love that you pour out in our hearts would enable us to live pure and blameless lives among those in our spheres of influence who will see and meet you, Lord, in us and come to enjoy your love and gospel community with us. More love, Lord. More understanding, Lord. More of your light in our lives. As we come to you around the table, as we remember and receive, Lord, remind us build us up and strengthen us in the joy of gospel community. We pray, Jesus, for your sake and in your name. Amen.